You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. Good morning, beautiful people. Y'all are just slightly crazy. That's a wonderful thing. I'll tell you what, though, we certainly don't, and I know I don't know of a single missionary that feels either like they've sacrificed or that they're a hero. Never met one that felt that way, um, but we're grateful for your kindness. Thank you so much, and thanks for the privilege of being here this morning and having the opportunity to worship with you. Thank you for what you do for the nations, 107 missionaries that you support. That is absolutely phenomenal. Thank you so much. Now, you had an opportunity just a second ago to see the most beautiful woman currently walking on planet Earth in the Milky Way. I want, I want her to just to stand one more time. This is my lovely bride of 30 years, Trina. And the Lord has given us three children that we're very, very proud of. They're all serving Jesus. You know, I, I, somebody asked me the other day, they said, they were asking about my life, and I said, you know, honestly, I said, I have a beautiful wife that loves me. The Lord has been so gracious to call us into missions ministry for 25 years. I have three children that love Jesus. Two of them have married well, not to each other. Two of the three have married well. They love Jesus. I said, I could die right now, and I'd be a happy man. Amen? But we're grateful to be here and grateful to have the opportunity to share. And if you don't mind, I'd like to just jump right into the Word. So for the older crowd that has one of these, um, Matthew chapter 15 for the younger crowd, yeah, you'll find it on your phone, and you're probably already there. The rest of us will catch up in about a day. Matthew chapter 15, it's quick. Matthew chapter 15, if you can't find it, page 1,112. Matthew 15 and verse number 21. And let me, let me just say thank you to Pastor Ben and Jessica and Reagan and Logan. By the way, your hair looked awesome up there, buddy. You look phenomenal, man. Thank you for being such great. They're fantastic, aren't they? Fantastic, generous, and kind. They love coffee. Thank you, Jesus. Matthew chapter 15. Trina and I, by the way, let me just say this real quickly. Trina and I um, have had the privilege of serving 25 years in East Africa. First among the Somali people, um, an unreached people group uh, from Somalia, obviously. And then uh, for a long time in Ethiopia. And currently we serve all of East Africa in the Indian Ocean Basin. We have 17 countries that we serve and about 100 Assembly of God missionaries. I'm guessing about 25,000 local churches. I'm not sure the number exactly. And uh, we could desperately use your prayers. I'm a delinquent missionary as well because as we're leaving from Nairobi, we live in Nairobi. We're going back right after the second service. We're going back home to Nairobi. And I was, we were sitting in our home, and I said to Trina, I said, oh, we got to remember to take our prayer cards. She goes, yes, we have to remember to bring our prayer cards. So we're sitting on the plane. I said, you brought the prayer cards. She said, I thought that was you saying you're bringing their prayer cards. So after 30 years of marriage, we still have marital communication issues. Please forgive us. We forgot to bring our prayer cards, but I'll make sure that I send them so that you can, you can um, take a prayer card. Please pray for missionaries. Put their prayer cards in your Bible. Put the prayer cards on your refrigerator, whichever you open the most, and, uh, and pray for us. Please, please. Matthew chapter 15. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. 
Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Father, this morning we pray in Jesus' name that you'd open heaven over this place and pour out your spirit upon us. We pray, Lord, in the same way that you inspired the word by your Holy Spirit, that this morning you would illumine it to our hearts and minds. And Jesus, we pray this morning, change us. Jesus, change us. That the things you love, we would love. And the things you despise, we would despise. Your passion for the nations would be our passion for the nations. Jesus, change us. And help us to grasp your word this morning. And we pray these things in the matchless, the powerful, and the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody crazy in love with Jesus Christ said. Amen. I'll never forget the first time I saw him. We um, had been serving in, in Addis Ababa at the Addis Ababa Bible College. Say that ten times fast. In Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. At that time, I was the dean of students and, and also teaching full-time at the Bible school. And I remembered I was in a new office because what we'd done is we'd taken houses. We couldn't own land. We still can't own land in Ethiopia. So we had rented all these houses in a neighborhood. And we'd knocked out walls between homes. And we'd knocked out walls in houses. And we created a Bible school out of about three houses in a neighborhood, actually four houses in a neighborhood. And one of the bedrooms I was turning into my office, it was a little tiny bedroom. And it had a cement floor and, and, and whitewashed walls that were probably actually made with a mixture of cement and cow poop, which makes a very, very hard wall. It doesn't smell like you think it would. And they whitewash it. And, and I remember I was, I was, I was hanging some, some shelves on the wall because I was putting my books in there, and I had my back to the door. Now, in most of the world, when somebody comes to the door, there's, there's several ways that you let people know you're there. You would knock on the door, or you would ring a doorbell. But in much of the world where you don't have electricity, you can't ring doorbells. And in some places where you don't really have a proper door, there's not really, what do you do? So in Kenya, if you were to come to Kenya where we live now, they stand outside the door and they just say, Hodi. And inside you would hear them say, Hodi. And you say, Karibu. And that means come on in. Well, this guy stood at the door because he didn't really know what to do. So he just kind of stood there. And I had my back to the door like this, and I'm hanging up bookshelves, and I'm doing this and that. And I felt somebody, you know how you feel somebody looking at the back of your head? And I felt, I felt uncomfortable, and I turned around, and there he was, this huge man. Now, that, that might seem odd to you, but I was in Ethiopia. And at the time in Ethiopia, almost all Ethiopians were very, very small people, and they were very thin people. And this guy was tall. And not, all, not only was he tall, but he had, he had very, very dark skin. Now, right now, a lot of you are thinking, well, duh, you were in Africa. But there's different shades. I'm not kidding. There's different tones. And, and most Ethiopians have kind, of a, they have kind of a light tone, almost like, a, almost like a cappuccino with an extra shot of cream, just kind of, a, kind of a light tone on their skin. But he had really dark skin. And he, he didn't have typical African hair. Ethiopians have beautiful black curly hair, wavy, beautiful curly hair. And he had like what I would call like white dude hair. It was, it was, like, it was like white guy hair but black. 
and he had these sharp features, and he had normal eyes. Ethiopians have big old honking eyes. I mean, they like fill up their face. I'm not kidding you. And he had like normal looking eyes. And so when I saw him, I kind of jumped back. I was startled. And he, he leaned in the room like this. Hello, brother Steve. I said, hello, who are you? He said, my name is Ali Ahmed. And I said, Ali, I said, I said, Noor, Bugzir, please have a seat. Come into my office and sit down. And he sat down in a chair. I sat down next to him. And I said, Ali, how can I help you? He said, Brother Steve, you probably noticed when I walked in the room that I don't look like most Ethiopians. I said, I did notice that. <laughs> he said, I don't sound like most Ethiopians. He said, you see, my family comes from a Muslim-dominated part of the country. He said, in fact, since the 7th century, my family have been Muslims. Nobody in my family has ever been a believer in Jesus Christ. And he said, but Jesus worked a miracle in my life and revealed himself to me. And when he did, I received him as my Lord and Savior. And I've come to ABC, Addis Ababa Bible College, with the intent of growing in my knowledge of Jesus. And while I'm here, the Lord has spoken to me and told me, go back to your own people and preach the gospel. He said, but I just need a friend. He said, because I look different, because I sound different, because I'm from the wrong part of the country. No one in the Bible school, none of the students will talk to me. They're afraid of me. He said, I just came in the room to ask you, would you be my friend and would you pray with me? So I took Ali's hands in mine and we sat in that room in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, in a place called Kotebe. And we prayed. To most people, Ali Ahmed is an irrelevant third world man in an obscure Bible college in the middle of a no account country. To most people, He's nobody. He's insignificant. You know, I have worked among, Trina and I have worked among Muslims. We've worked among Hindus. We've been in contact with atheists. We've been in contact with Buddhists. We've been in contact with secularists. And I've never met anybody that doesn't like Jesus. Never in my whole life have I ever met anybody that doesn't like Jesus. Now, Muslims, Hindus, they misunderstand him. They respect him. They look at him as a teacher, a prophet, born of a virgin, but no cross, not divine. They like him, but they don't understand him. Hindus, atheists, they all respect Jesus. They like his teachings because people like Jesus. Am I right? But in this text, in this story that we just read, Jesus acts in a way that is so very contrary to everything we know about him. This text is uncomfortable. And I'll, I, I, would, I would gander to say that when you open the text and you start reading through, you thought, where is he going to go with this? This is the strangest story in the Bible. It's unsettling. It's strange because Jesus acts and responds in a way that's just, well, it's, it's, it's frankly, it's weird. It's a weird story. The story starts this way. Jesus leaves Jerusalem and he travels into Galilee. A Canaanite woman comes to him crying out. Now, Mark tells us in Mark chapter 7 that she was Greek. She was Greek ethnicity, but she was born in Syrian Phoenicia. In other words, she's a Gentile woman. She cries out, begging Jesus to have mercy on her because her daughter is demon-possessed and they're suffering terribly. At that point, Jesus shocks us. 
because the Bible says he ignores her. Jesus did not answer a word. So the disciples come to Jesus and they urge him, send her away because she keeps crying out after us. Jesus responds, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. So at this point, the story goes from rude to just downright bizarre. Seriously, the woman comes at him again. She kneels before Jesus this time and she says, Lord, help me. Jesus says, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Now, I don't know if I'm reading this right in the English or not, but I, I, I think Jesus just called this chick a dog. Am I right? Am I, are you reading it that way, too? He calls this woman a dog. And then she comes at him again. And she says, yes, Lord. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. This is a crazy story. Because it's not the Jesus that we're used to. In this story, Jesus seems calloused. He seems arrogant. He seems racist. He seems rude. He seems sexist. But maybe the challenge with the text is not Jesus. Maybe the challenge with the text is us. What if we're misunderstanding what's going on here? Did you know that a majority of the world communicates in a fashion that's called indirect communication? In other words, in, in Africa, it happens all the time. So in other words, if I want to say something to Pastor Ben, who is awesome, if I want to say something to Pastor Ben, who is awesome, but because he's so awesome, I don't, I'm not in a position, I can't say something to you like that. If i got to say something really hard, I can't tell him directly because he's awesome, I'm unawesome. Awesome, unawesome. So I can't speak to him directly about something that's, you know, maybe negative or pejorative or could be, you know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. You got it, buddy, Jack. So, so what I have to do is I got I to gotta communicate to him, but I can't tell him directly, so I talk to her. But I make sure that he's there. So the whole time I'm talking to her, I'm actually communicating to him. Are you all with me? That happens in Africa all the time. You have to be constantly listening because somebody may be carrying on a conversation with you and talking to another person. It's called indirect communication. Africans also use stories to make, to, make, um, to make solid and strong points. They'll come out with a story. So I was in a meeting with a group of leaders the other day in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. And one of the leaders from Ghana looks at us and he says, my brothers, the monkey that goes up the tree, that monkey must come down from the tree. And all the African guys went, yeah. <laughs> and all the white guys were like, what is this guy? What's it got to do with a monkey? What's, what's with the monkey? I believe that what's happening in this text is it's more African. It's more Middle Eastern. And it's hard for Westerners to understand exactly what's going on here because Jesus is talking to the woman, but he's communicating with the disciples. The point of communication is not her. The point of communication is them. And maybe by extension to us. Let me explain what I mean. There was a prayer that was common in the first century by, by Jewish Palestinian men. Every morning they would pray this. Blessed art thou, O God, for not making me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Thank you, God, that I'm not a woman. <laughs> Try that, boys. Now, but understand, but understand the context. This prayer was meant to be a manner of honor. It was meant to be a manner of respect, of sacred separation. It was, it was a cultural norm because the men were saying, thank you, God, 
that you've made me the head of this household in relationship with you and helped me to lead my home in relationship to you. That's what it meant. But the problem was is their cultural mores had devolved from honor and respect to arrogance and exclusion. Jesus' response to the lady exposes the disciples' prejudice, their arrogance, and their loss of identity. Notice what happens in their conversation. Are you, are you with me? I'm used to African Pentecostals. Are, are, you, are you folks with me in the cheap seats in the back? You guys good? Good to go? TC people, are you with me? I love it when Teen Challenge is in the building. So the first thing Jesus does is he ignores her. Now, this is strange to us, but it was normal in that era. It was a normal thing. He was a well-known Jewish rabbi or teacher, and she was a Gentile woman. She could not normally speak to him in public. In fact, no woman could normally speak to him directly in public. And she, being a Gentile woman, could never talk to him who was a respected man, especially because she's a Gentile. So when Jesus ignored her, it's odd to us, but the disciples were probably thinking that Jesus' actions were spot on. But just because something is normal does not mean it's right. Second, Jesus says, what I do, I only do for the nation of Israel. What I do, I only do for Israel. But notice that he says it in response to the disciples saying, send her away. She's bothering us. Send her away. She's bothering us us. She's bothering us. Now, bear in mind, nowhere in the Bible does it say that Jesus only came for Israel. Nowhere is that in the Bible. Now, it is true that in the Old Testament, primarily, there's a very special relationship between God and Israel. From Genesis to Malachi, we see God's relationship with Israel, but with a very specific intent. Even in Exodus chapter 19, which is their purpose statement, he says, you are called to be a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, for the purpose of being a light to all nations. From Genesis to Revelation, he has been the God of the nations. The Lord loves the nations, and that's the message of the book. Every book, every chapter, every story, every line, every word, every pericope, it all ties into a single theme, and that is God loves the nations all nations, and his intent is to use his people to bless the nations. Excuse me if I get excited up here. Israel was God's methodology of bringing the nations to himself. It's the clear message of the Old Testament. We call it the mission of God or the missio Dei. They were to know him and to make him known to all nations. But it seems like they forgot they forgot who they were, and they forgot what they were called to do. And Jesus reminds them in this text who they are and what they're born to do. But then Jesus calls her a dog. You know, in some cultures, that's not so bad. <laughs> Americans love dogs. I mean, y'all are crazy. We're crazy about dogs. Am I right? Americans. We have doggy daycare. I'm American, by the way. We have, we have doggy daycares. We have puppy buffets. That's not where you eat the puppies, but where you take the uh, that would be in, That would be in, that would be in uh, yeah, China. Um, they have doggy spas. We have doggy clinics, doggy vacation packages, doggy psychologists, puppy whisperers. The other day I was in Pennsylvania, and I saw a bumper sticker that said, my favorite child drinks from the toilet. 
I, <laughs> I was preaching and I was preaching in Seattle area not too long ago. And as I'm preaching, there's an old dude sitting at the back of the church, kind of sitting in the backside where the, you know, the old dudes usually sit and kind of sitting on the backside over there. But he had like a, a child. And I thought, OK, it's cool that, you know, he has a child, but it's kind of odd that an old dude by himself would have a child. And isn't that kind of odd? So I kind of, you know, I preached and then I kind of after service, I kind of made my way back there. And and I said, hi, how are you doing? He goes, how are you doing? I said, yeah, it's nice to meet you. I said, um. Can I can I see your baby? He goes, oh, yes. And so I, I I I look down and he he can tell he's very proud of his baby and and as I as I pull the blanket back, whoa, holy cow! It was a Chihuahua. <laughs> and it had a Seattle Seahawks jersey on. <laughs> we love dogs, America. We do, we do. We I was on a plane yesterday, and there was a guy walking on with a dog, and everybody was enamored with the dog. We love dogs. Most of us love dogs. <laughs> but did you know that in many cultures, that's not the case? They don't understand that. Dogs in the Middle East and dogs in Africa are usually considered bad, very bad. In fact, if we ever have guests come over, we have a dog. We actually keep her around for the little missionary girls, missionary kid girls that come over because they love her. She's a little white thing with black eyes, and she just, she make a great oncology pet, just crawls in her lap and goes to sleep, and the little girls love her, so we kind of keep her around for them. But when Africans come over, we put her away immediately. Because for Africans, dogs are bad. And in many cultures, not only are they scavengers, but they consider them homes the home of demons. Did you know that? They're considered the home of demons. And in the first century, Jews would often refer to Gentiles as dogs. So the context I'm talking about, the bad side of it, that's what was going on in the Bible. It's not the good side, it's the bad side. First century Jews would call Gentiles dogs, and it wasn't a compliment. In the disciples' mind, Jesus was only reminding this lady of what she truly was. You're worthless. You're insignificant. You're trash. You're useless. You're a failure. You're a dog. You're lower than a dog. You're nothing. And that's the point of the text. That's the point of what's going on. To the disciples, this woman wasn't worth anything, but she certainly wasn't worth the effort of Jesus Christ. She was nothing. She was a bother. She was an intrusion. She was an inconvenience. She was an outsider. She was a failure. Wrong person, wrong time, wrong gender, wrong people group, wrong language. But look at the lady. Have you ever noticed that nowhere in this text do we know the lady's name? We know that she's a Gentile. We know that she's a woman. We know that she's Greek. She was born in Syrian Phoenicia. And we know that she has a daughter that is possessed with demons. Every moment of this woman's life is darkness. She and her daughter were plagued by the demonic. She was at the mercy of the enemy. There was nothing in her home but pain and fear and sickness and despair and awfulness. We know that. But we don't know her name. But listen to her language. When she approaches Jesus the first time, she calls him Lord. Now, in the New Testament, that's the word kyrios, Lord. She spoke to Jesus by calling him Lord. And have you ever noticed that the disciples don't start calling Jesus Lord until later in the Gospels? They didn't even often call him that, but she did. And bear in mind, she was a Gentile. 
To refer to Jesus as Lord meant that she had some grasp of who Jesus was. She acknowledged his right to rule, his divinely given authority, his power, maybe his divinity. It meant that she was submitting her life to him. Jesus, you are Lord. In much of the world, that's still what separates the believers from everybody else. If I was in an Ethiopian church, I would say, Jesus, mano, who is Jesus? And they would say, Jesus, Jesus is the Lord. And that separates them from everybody else. Jesus, you are Lord. She calls him the son of David. Now, that's critical because she's Canaanite, and the Canaanites hated David. He was the king that expanded Israel and defeated them in battle time and again because he was Israel's greatest king. But she recognized, Jesus, you're more than a normal man. You are, you are the king. You are the king. You are the heir to the throne of David. And she recognized not only that, but Jesus, you are the warrior king. You are the conquering king. That's what son of David meant. So no doubt she saw Jesus as her only hope to defeat, to conquer, to demolish those demons in their life. Jesus, you're the king. Then, in three words, she captures her rejection, her fear, her pain, her desperation, her daughter's suffering. She puts it to Jesus, knowing that he could and he would respond. And she says, Lord, again, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Somewhere, someone at some time told this woman about Jesus. And in that moment, she knew. She knew that only Jesus could deliver her daughter from demons. And that changed her life forever. So she pushes through the crowds to get to Jesus, and he seems to ignore her. She comes at him again because she refuses to give up, and he insults her. She keeps coming back. She wouldn't take no for an answer because she knew that Jesus could and would deliver her daughter from demons. She would not stop. She refused to give up regardless of who stood in her way. She had to get to Jesus. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. What do you think the disciples were thinking at that point? What was going on in their mind? And maybe Jesus wasn't just talking to the disciples. Maybe he was talking to us. Maybe like the disciples, we try to ignore the laws. Maybe we think of them as an interruption. Maybe, maybe like the disciples, lost people bother us. Maybe lost people annoy us. I mean, they're, they're inconvenient. Their language is, I mean, they're funny sounding. They're, their clothes are weird, and they're skinny. They're skinny people. Come on. Unreached people are unreached for a reason. They live in hard places, hard access, hard to get to, hard to live in. Maybe we forget who we are, and maybe we forget what we're called to do. Maybe we fail to see God's opportunity in our lives. In our world this morning, three billion people still do not have the gospel. Three billion don't have the gospel. That's 42% of our world. In September 2012, I was in Lumuru, Kenya, and I saw a number, 199,484,190. I'll never forget it when I saw that number. Now, for most people, it's only a number. 
But when I hear the number 199,484,190, I see people. I see faces because that's the number of people in sub-Saharan Africa under the Sahara Desert that have no access to the gospel. That means there's no radio, there's no television, there's no internet, there's no church, there's no missionary, there's no pastor, there's no Bible in a language that they understand. 199,484,190. We cannot rest until every girl, every boy, every man, every woman in Africa has heard the gospel of Jesus in a language they understand at least one time in their life. At some point, at some place, at some time, someone cared enough to tell this Gentile woman about Jesus. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And in that moment, boom, all of a sudden the conversation shifts. All of a sudden he's no longer talking to his disciples, but now he's talking to the lady. And his tone changes and his vocabulary changes. And you notice what he says to her. He starts off by saying, woman. Now to us, that may sound, I mean, don't ever bend. Don't, don't do that with Jess. That's not good. Yeah, yeah. Woman. It doesn't, it doesn't work. I, I, I often do that with Trina, but just to see how she responds. And it's not good. Let me tell you what. It's not good. It's not good. But he starts off by saying, woman. Now bear in mind who she is. Bear in mind where she came from. Bear in mind what she just went through. And understand that in the New Testament, Jesus only calls a woman, woman, two times. One time is this lady, and the other one is his mother, Mary. It's the only time he uses this word in the entirety of the New Testament. So immediately he takes her from here to here. Immediately he takes her from outside to inside. Immediately he recognizes her value. And he gives her immediately in front of everybody honor, respect, and value. They understood what was going on. And then he turns to her and he says, you have great faith. That's only used three times in the New Testament, two times of a Roman centurion. In other words, a soldier that oversaw the most powerful fighting force of his day, leading 100 soldiers, a centurion. He said it to him, and he said it to her. You have great faith. And then he spoke the words that she'd been waiting to hear the whole time. Your request is granted. And at that moment, at that moment, her daughter was delivered from demons. When Jesus spoke the word, all of a sudden the demons were driven out of their house. All of a sudden there's no more darkness and despair and filth. There is freedom and hope and life and healing. Because when Jesus speaks the word, it changes everything. All we need is one word from Jesus and it'll change your life forever. One word from Jesus will change your life forever. It was Thanksgiving Day, and we were serving in Ethiopia. Um, now, I didn't mention this to you, but my little five foot two, under a hundred pound wife is a party in a box. <laughs> I'm telling you what, she loves gifts, giving and receiving. She also, she also loves parties. We literally have, on average, fifty to fifty to hundred guests a month in our home. That's that's, that's pretty normal. It's, it's one of the things we do. Every, every month we have 30 to 50 on a Sunday night come to our house. I mean, Thanksgiving we usually have 100, 200 people over for lunch. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty common. We had carnival, a stinking carnival on New Year's Day at our house with all the missionaries in the area. This last year we had about 180 at our house at a carnival. 
this chick loves parties. And so what happens, she loves to celebrate people. So what happens, and I, don't, I just get worn out and go to bed. You know, go have fun. But so what, what happens is, is, is Thanksgiving Day, it's Ethiopia. Actually, it's Friday, but they don't celebrate Thanksgiving on Thursday. So we're doing it on Friday. And we're having the whole team there because we're the team leaders of the nation at the time. We didn't have a huge team. We had about, about 15, 20 people. But we had all the team over. We had some of the other missionaries from other groups over. And we were celebrating Thanksgiving at our house. And all of a sudden, my, my, my phone tinkled. Um, we, we, don't, we don't call or ring. We tinkle in Africa. So my, my, <laughs> yeah, my, my, my phone tinkled. And we don't answer the phone. We open the phone. So I, I opened the phone that was tinkling. I put it to my ear. And I said, Hello. And on the other side, I heard, Halo, Brazirst. I said, is this Ali Ahmed? He said, this is Ali Ahmed. I, oh my God, I hadn't talked to him in like two or three years. And I said, I said, Ali, I said, how are you doing? How's your wife? How's your children? How's your home? How's your cattle? How are your sheep? How are your goats? How you got to go through. It's Africa, man. You got to go all the way around. How are your children? I went all the way back around, and he said the same thing to me, and we're talking, we're talking. And then all of a sudden, he says, Brother Steve, I need to see you right now. And I said, that is awesome, Ollie. Man, I would love to see you right now, but it's Thanksgiving. So I'll tell you what. Come to my office on Monday, because he's way on the other side of town. I said, Addis Ababa, the capital of Africa. I said, come to my office on Monday. I said, I'll take you to lunch. We'll spend a couple hours together. We'll have a wonderful time. He said, no, 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 no. I need to see you right now. I said, dude, you're killing me. I said, it's Thanksgiving. Now, you got to bear in mind with Africans, and this isn't meant to be, it's not meant to be like a stereotype, or, well, it kind of is a stereotype, but, but it's not meant to be pejorative. But Africans, uh, most of my African friends planning into the future, uh, not so much. Not, and they'll tell you, it's not me. I mean, they tell me, it's not, uh, not, not so much. However, they'll tell me, they say, that's true, that's true. We don't plan so hot. But you know, you Americans, you all have watches, but you never seem to have any time. <laughs> Fair enough. So I said to him, I said, I said, Ali, I said, I can't meet you. It's Thanksgiving Day. He said, well, well, what's Thanksgiving Day? I said, what's Thanksgiving Day? I said, are you kidding? It's only the most awesome holiday on planet Earth. He said, what do you do? I said, what, what, what do you mean, what do we do? It's Thanksgiving Day. I said, it's self-explanatory. I said, from sea to shining sea, all of America takes 10, 15, maybe 20 seconds, and we thank God for everything we have. I said, then... I said, we take 10, 15, 20 hours, and we eat like pigs. Yeah. I said, we have turkey, and we have ham, and we have biscuits and gravy, and we, somebody help me out here. We have cornbread dressing. We have phenomenal food all day long as we watch the Detroit Lions get spanked yet again. And I said, and then the guys, the guys will eat so much food that we'll go into kind of like a culinary coma, and we just... <laughs> right on the ground, and we'll fall out, and we'll undo our belt buckle, and we'll be asleep, and magically, we don't know how it happens, but magically, the food all reappears about three hours later, and there it all is again, but this time with Wonder Bread and Lay's potato chips and mayonnaise. Thank you, Jesus. And I said, we do it again. I'll see you on Monday. He said, now. I said, dude, you're killing me. Come on. He said, no, seriously. I said, Okay, you got one hour. He said, okay. Well, that meant nothing. So <laughs> I get in my car, Thanksgiving Day, my speed light car, mind you, and I drive from one side of Addis Ababa, the capital of Africa, from one side to the other. So it's a city of about five to seven million. We're not really sure how many. I drive to the other side of town, and I pull up to a gate in my truck, and then I, I hoot, because we don't honk in Africa. We hoot. 
So I, I hooted my horn. A, a guard opens a gate. Every All the houses in most of Africa and the cities all have guards and gates. And So I, I pull inside. The guy shuts the gate. I, I step out, and all of a sudden I, I, hear, I hear drums. Now, most of you are probably thinking, well, yeah, you're in Africa. But mo in, in the cities in Africa, the kind of drums we have look like, look like that. And they have keyboards and electric guitar players and some of the most phenomenal musicians on planet Earth worship Jesus in urban complexes in Africa. And so I wasn't used to hearing these are like village drums. I, wa I wasn't used to that. I thought, well, that's odd. But I decided to, to follow it. And so I followed the sound. And over on this wall, was it was a building about as long as this wall right here. It was white, about the same height, and it had a tin roof. Down on that end was a door. And the sound was kind of emanating from a window here. But I walked all the way down there to the door. And on the outside were all these shoes. Now, that's normal for a mosque, but it's not normal for a church. But I thought, well, okay. So I, I take off my shoes, and I walk inside the building. And when I do, I'm, I'm, I'm immediately struck by the demographic. What I mean by that is on this side, it was all ladies. And then there was, like, there was like a dividing line in the middle, and over here were all the men. They were all seated on the ground. They were singing, and the ladies were playing the drums. And on the back, the ladies sitting down, they all had dresses on. Many of them had their heads covered. I turned and looked here. All the guys had on hamisas or robes. They, they had these long robes on, and they had sandals on. They had little little Muslim prayer hats on. They had these big old honking black beards, and then their mustaches were shaved. Wh now, at this point, I'm getting a little nervous and I because I kind of stood out in the room, if you know what I'm saying. And I, I kind of started backing up against the wall like this, and then I looked over on this side, and over on this wall were these five old dudes. I mean, old guys. And they were perched up on that wall, and their faces were all leathered from being out in the sun. And they had these little prayer hats on, but their beards were red, which meant that they had been on the Hajj. In Islam, that makes you a holy man or a sacred man. And those guys were perched up on that wall. And they all looked, they all looked angry. They all looked like something was wrong, like they were constipated. I don't know what it was, but they looked, they looked ticked off. And as I saw those old dudes over there, and I looked at the crowd here, I thought to myself, I'm in the wrong compound. I've wandered into an Al-Qaeda cell. So, seriously. <laughs> so I started backing up against the wall like this, and, I, and I, 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 I'm standing out. I can't get to the door. I'm thinking, what do I do, Jesus? And then all of a sudden, I see right in the back, right behind all the ladies, was Ali Ahmed. Oh. Now, I forgot to mention, when, when, Jesus, when, when Ali was born, Jesus put like two million teeth in, in Ali's, <laughs> right in his face. So that when he smiles with that really dark skin, he smiles with these bright white two million teeth, and wham! It's like it just lights up the entirety of the room. So Ali smiles, and he had on he had a little scruffy beard, had his had his robe on, his little Muslim prayer hat. You know, didn't look like anybody else in the room. And I I, I felt good. I thought, okay, okay. Well, thank God, Ali's here. I'm I'm safe for now. So I'm a, I'm a middle aged, overweight white guy. So it took me a while, but I finally got on the ground and I I sat there, and I listened. And they were singing in Somali. That's the language we worked in our first term. The Somalis are all Muslims, like 99.9999%. In the time we worked with Somalis, 12 of them were murdered for their faith. Just three years ago, Abdullah Ahmed, one of my very dear friends, the only Pentecostal Somali I ever met in my life, was shot dead in the town. I was there that, that day, that day, and his crime was he loves Jesus. It's a tough people group. And I hear them singing in that language, a language I hadn't used in years at that point. But I could still understand what they were saying. And they were saying, we love Jesus. Jesus is our king. Jesus is our healer. Jesus is our savior. Jesus is the light of the nations. And as I heard that, I, I sat back in awe. 
And then, boom, they switched languages, and they went, they went to another language. I, I, I didn't know what they were saying. I turned to the guy next to me. I said, what are they, what are they saying? And he said, that's, that's Afar. The Afar people are about the same as the Somalis, except in order to become a man in that tribe, you have to kill a man from another tribe. So Muslim people group, to, to my knowledge, there's very, very, very few believers in that entire group. Millions of people, 20, 30, 40 years of mission, missionary ministry, no fruit yet. Tough people. I said, what are they saying? He's like, they're singing about Jesus. He said, they're singing that, that they love Jesus, that he's the king, that he's the Lord, that he's the hope of the nations, that he's their healer, he's their savior. They switched to another language and they were saying the very same thing. And then all of a sudden they stopped. And a guy sitting right here was Steve. Is that you, Steve? That, are you, you're not Steve? Who are you? Why aren't you Steve? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But you were a runner, right? Okay, so you're awesome. So right there where Greg is sitting, right there was a guy named Abdi Razak. He wasn't as good looking as, 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 as Greg is, or you know, but he was sitting right there, and he was kind of a, sh kind of a short guy, looked kind of an Arab kind of features, had a little Muslim prayer hat on, a big black beard, no mustache, which means they're Akhwan or they're fundamentalist Muslim is what it, what it normally means. And uh, he starts preaching, and he starts preaching in a language, Amharic, which is the dominant language of Ethiopia. And I understood what he was saying. And he, in 10 minutes, preached the most powerful gospel message I've ever heard in my life. In 10 minutes, Abdi Razak began by saying, we're not here to disparage Islam. We're not here to disparage Muhammad. We all came from that. But what we do know is that in Islam, there's no hope. In Islam, there's no forgiveness of sins. There is no getting out from underneath this guilt. And no matter what you think about Muhammad, he could not deliver you from sin and guilt and shame. But Jesus can Jesus is the light of the nations. Jesus is our soon coming king. Jesus is our healer, our baptizer, and he can deliver us from sin. Only Jesus can do this. Ten minutes, he just threw down like a wild man in him heart. Bam, he's throwing down. All of a sudden, he stops. Boom, they all jump up. I'm not kidding you. They just jump up. And when they did, I thought Al-Qaeda again. You know, I went back into stealth. Mode. I jumped up too, and I was looking around. And they just start scurrying around the room. Now, what I didn't see when I walked in was like about a three or 400-gallon water tank. Right here, about where Jack is, just like this three or four hundred gallon water tank, boom, right there, a cattle trough. And they all start, they all start jumping around, they're kind of changing their clothes a little bit. It was a little embarrassing, kind of changing stuff. And then they they lined up in this front of this tank, and they all lined up at from oldest man to youngest girl. They knew exactly where they belonged. Yeah, oldest man to youngest girl. I had no idea what was going on. And then all of a sudden, Abdi Razak, Abdi Razak, and Ali Ahmed come out of the crowd, they walk over and they step into the tank. As they're standing there, they look over at the wall, and the oldest, meanest-looking man in the room gets down off the wall, and he starts to walk very slow. He's old, very slow, from this side of the room to the other. And we're watching him. Everybody's quiet watching this old man. He comes across, and he steps into the tank with help. And then he turns around, and he faces everybody. And when he does, my teacher, I'm sorry, my student, Ali Ahmed, leans over and whispers something in his ear. And when he does, the old man goes like this. And he just stands there. And then Ollie turns to the group. And he says, Gashe, which means my uncle. It's a term of respect. He says, Gashe. He says, based upon your profession and faith that Jesus is your Lord and Jesus is your Savior, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Bam! Whammo! He, boom, shoves the old dude, just bam, right to the bottom of the tank. I'm not kidding. I was like, and, and you could hear his back is cracking on the bottom. 
And then he raises his hand, praise God, praise God. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm guessing when Pastor Ben baptizes, everybody's like wearing white shirts and the ladies are swaying and kind of crying. And they got, in the name of Jesus. You know, it's all very beautiful. These guys came from Islam. They didn't know what to do. So, bam, he, he shoves him down. And then he holds him. And he looks at him and praise God. And this, and the whole time, the old guy, he's under the water. And you can see his arms grabbing on the side, and his legs are coming up. And he's trying to get out. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. And then he realizes the old dude's down. So he grabs him, and he pulls him up like this. Well, he's just a little tiny guy. And, and you know, Ollie is big. Pulls him up. And he goes like, did I mention he had a dress on? Yeah, it was bad. And he goes like this. And then, boom, he's back on the ground like this. And the old man still has his little hat on. He's got running all over and on that weathered face all of a sudden a smile erupts he raises his hands and he says alhamdulillah alhamdulillah praise the lord praise the lord i watched that thanksgiving day as 65 men and women i counted i'm an, I'm an american 65 men and women went into that water one after another after another after another after another i went outside and i stood outside i was overwhelmed I was overwhelmed with thankfulness, and I was overwhelmed with the presence of Jesus. And I'm standing outside literally crying and thinking, oh, Jesus, every missionary dreams of something like this. And I'm standing outside, and I'm thinking about it. And all of a sudden, Ali Ahmed comes walking out of the building. And this time, he's walking a little bit like John Wayne. You know, he's, he's walking kind of slow and kind of like this. And he comes walking out. He's dripping wet. He's got his little Muslim prayer hat on. He's got water just all over him. And he leans in with that two-million-tooth grin. And he says, Brother Steve. Are you glad you came today? <laughs> I asked Ollie. I said, Ollie, I said, is this what you've been doing since you graduated from Bible school? He said, yeah. He said, this is my church. He said, but, but today's my last day. I said, seriously? He said, yeah, that's why Abdul Razak was preaching and I was sitting in the back. I'm kind of making my way out and he's going to take over today. This is first Sunday. This is first Friday. This is first service. I said, well, what are you going to do? You're going to go plant more? He said, oh, yeah. I will, but he said, but I've got to take care of the other eight that I have as well. I said, you planted nine churches among Muslims, 100% among Muslims, nine churches in just two years? He said, yeah. <laughs> I said, I said, how many believers are we talking? He said, uh, five, ten, about 2,000. In Jesus' eyes, no one is insignificant. In Jesus' eyes, no one is worthless or valueless. In no one's eyes, I'm sorry, in Jesus' eyes, no one is insignificant. You have a piece of paper right there at your table or at your chair. It looks like this. It looks like this. And Pastor Ben is going to come in just a moment. This is nothing more than a piece of paper with pretty ink on it. Until you sign it. Until you put something on it. And then it becomes a covenant between you and Jesus. I'm convinced that every believer in Jesus Christ is called to do something. If you love Jesus... You were called to do something for the nations. 
you were called to make a difference in the nations. The question is, will you pray? The question is, will you give? And the question is, will you go? Would you pray with me? Father, this morning we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for your kindness to us. We thank you, Jesus, that the gospel is not about us finding you, but the gospel is that you pursued us relentlessly. You refused to give up on us. You refused to leave us. You refused to walk away from us. Maybe when everybody else did, you refused and you kept coming and coming and coming and coming because you love us. And in the same way, Jesus, you love the nations. You love people that the world deems insignificant. People like this lady and people like Ali Ahmed. And I pray this morning in the name of Jesus that from the gateway that you would raise up men and women who will be crazy pray, prayer people. They'll pray like crazy all the time, incessantly, calling out your name, calling for workers. I pray, Jesus, that you would call people to give generously, to give. And I pray, Jesus, that from this congregation you would call people to go and Jesus, I thank you for what you do in short-term missions out of the gateway. But I pray in Jesus' name that you would raise up people who will go and make a life sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in a culture and a language that's not their own. Jesus, raise them up, we pray. Raise them up, we pray. Raise them up, we pray. Father, use us, we pray, for your glory and your honor. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd go before us, behind us, and all around us. Help us to take this message and live it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Turn and greet someone. Go in the grace of God. Thank you. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.